It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Welcome back to another episode of College Basketball Recruiting Weekly, and this week we are going to talk about NBA rookies. Joining me is the National Basketball Director for 24-7 Sports, Eric Bossi. I'm Adam Finkelstein, and Ebos, like myself, we like to watch us some NBA. I mean, Ebos, I don't know about you, but like, if I'm not watching a game for work and I've just got to turn something on for entertainment... It kind of varies year to year. Like some years I find myself in like a college phase where I'm only I'm watching mostly college. This year I find myself watching a lot of NBA. But I'm curious, like if you have to pick a game for sheer entertainment value, what are you watching? Well, like you, a lot of it depends on nightly matchups and things like that. But I'm always going to gravitate towards the NBA if I have a chance, especially as it starts to get later in the night and things just because, you know, basketball is my favorite sport. So why would I not want to watch it at the highest level? Fair enough. All right. So this week on the site, I'm going to be diving into the NBA rookies and I'm going to be exploring it from the perspective of who has been the best this year. Uh, but obviously that's a little bit of a different calculus between who is the best prospect. So in this episode of the show, Ebas and I are going to revisit draft night and kind of approach it from the, the standpoint of if we had to do it again, who would be the top 10 picks in the draft? Before we do that, though, uh, because I think there's it's undeniable that Victor Wembanyama would again be the number one pick, but it is not undeniable that he is the runaway candidate for Rookie of the Year. Uh, Chet Holmgren, who was selected with the second overall pick in 2022, missed what would have been his rookie season with injury. Thus, he is eligible for that award this season. So, Ibas, before we get going, who would be your pick for Rookie of the Year at this point? So I'm still going to go with Victor Wembanyama. He's leading the NBA in block shots as a rookie um, at just over three a game. He's averaging over 10 rebounds a game now. He's shown some offensive potency. You know, the efficiency isn't quite there yet, but I love what he's doing now. If you wanted to argue Chet Holmgren, I wouldn't be mad at you. You know, Oklahoma City has been jockeying for the number one slot in the Western Conference with, with Minnesota. So winning matters a lot, whereas, you know, the Spurs are – just now reached double digit wins here at 10 and 40 as we're, as we're filming this. So you could go both ways, but I'm just going to go. I always feel like rookie of the year is kind of a pure talent award. And mm -hmm. for that reason, I side with Wemby. I really, I like that logic because what I was going to say was I was going to cite the eye test. And admittedly, I've been a card carrying member of the Chet Holmgren fan club since he was about 15 years old. I mean, I, I still remember the first time I saw him play in New Jersey at, at the, I think it was a May session of, of the Under Armour Association. And man, he, I mean, his chest was almost concave back then, but you could just see that, that talent and that competitiveness, I think is really kind of the first thing that, that I remember about him. But when you watch Wemby play, I mean, he makes three to five plays per game that just, I don't know that there's any other, player in the world who could make and um it's just he does stuff every night that I've never seen before and the other thing that I don't think we are talking enough about is the fact that he stayed healthy uh you know that was the big question coming into the draft is how durable is he 
Well, San Antonio has not been good. They're they're very young, um, and you know I think not quite at the level that that uh, Wemby himself hoped they would be this year. But uh, he has been durable, and he's getting better with each passing month. And as great as Chet has been, and as as great as OKC has been, I, I I've got to agree with you that that Wemby is the um, is in my in my opinion the rookie of the year at this point. And we're about we're about halfway through the season. All right, so with that in mind, I think it's obvious Wemby would go number one if we were redrafting uh, the 2023 NBA draft today. At number two, uh, the Hornets were perceived as having a a choice between Brandon Miller and Scoot Henderson. They took Brandon Miller, and eight months later, I think this really looks like the right choice. What do you think? Yeah, no doubt. Um, Brandon Miller has been outstanding. You know, I think if in a Wemby-less and Chet Holmgren-less world, we're talking about him as probably the prohibitive favorite as the rookie of the year right now. You know, he's got, he's shooting high 30 percentages from three-point range. Um, he just recently had a career high of 35 points. He scored 20 or more 14 times. I don't think any other rookie has come close to that. And he just looks like a guy who's going to be burning jump shots for the next 15 years. Yeah, and I think agree totally agree with everything you just said i think at the beginning like kind of first 20 games of the season we were trying to see is 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 he a is he a good shooter or is he a great shooter the the thing that everybody was pretty universally concerned about was how much pressure could he put on the rim um how well was he going to finish you heard a lot of talk about is he a is he a two level score or a three level score because um, we knew from high school that he could really score in the mid-range area, but there were questions about how he could finish. I, I still think there are questions about how he finishes. I know the metrics are maybe a little bit better than people think, but when you watch the game tape, if he gets bumped before he has a chance to elevate, it's it's usually not a good um, it's usually not a good finish for him. But mid-air, when he has a little room to operate, he's got enough craft, he's got enough skill, he's got enough length and athleticism. Where, as I said, the metrics I think are a little bit better, but uh, I agree. I think, um, you know, for for all the uh, for all the criticism that the Charlotte front office has gotten over the years, I think they got this one right. And remember, it was hard to evaluate Miller in the pre-draft process because he had mono and he really wasn't working out very much. And when he was, he was reportedly just a shell of himself. So the third pick now was Portland and Portland was perceived to have the easiest pick of the night. Um, they were going to take whoever Charlotte didn't take, but Scoot Henderson has not been as good as many people, myself included, expected. So I'll, I'll pose this question to you. Should Portland, in retrospect, have considered other players more so than they did, or if they had to do it all over again today? Is there anyone else you would consider, or, or do you still think Scoot is the third best long-term prospect? Not saying he's been the third best rookie, third best long-term prospect in this class. As of today, no, I don't think they should have done anything different. Um, I think it's way too early to write off Scoot. I know he's still shooting a little bit under 40%, um, but you know he's shown that physically, athletically, he's an NBA player. He can create separation. He can get to the rim. You know, He's one of only two rookies to score 30 or more multiple times this season. So when he's been good, he's been really, really good. He's been 22 or above six times. So the highs are up there. Now it's just a matter of getting a little bit of stability. And, you know, it's it's not exactly the most stable situation 
his rookie year. Um, you know, I think learning to play with another guy who's pretty similar, I think, and how he operates at Amphrey Simons when he's healthy is another thing to take into consideration. But to me, Scoot has shown more than enough of what he's capable of doing. That It's too early to question things. And again, you know, the guy's only 20 years old. Let's give him at least a year or two before we, you know, start writing him off. So I admittedly, I wrestled with this one. I was like, if I'm, if I'm Portland here, is there anybody else? You know, the Thompson brothers went four and five. Anthony Black went six. Bilal Koulibaly went seven. I think I'd rather have Scoot over any of those guys. Obviously, Jaime Jaquez, Derek Lively, they've been among the best rookies. I still think, although Scoot has not been as good as I thought he would, I still think that's probably the guy you're gonna you're gonna roll the dice on and, and you're gonna invest in trying to develop. I mean, I will say in addition to the shooting numbers, which um, you know, you can see on paper. There's been a level of feel about it that that I think is a little concerning too, and I'm not sure if it's a chemistry issue with with um, you know who they have in the backcourt, and 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 I think Shaden Sharp is obviously another long term guy there that that they're investing in, but I, I think you want to see the feel and the shooting both both come on. All right, so we're going to take those three picks and call them that that they would they would stay flush if you will, and they would continue to be the the first three picks in the draft. We're going to go through and ultimately try and get 10. We can just alternate back and forth now that we've gotten those, those first three guys off the board. Um, the Rockets on draft night were perceived as the big turning point of the draft. I think it was wide open. There were three, four, potentially even five players that they were reportedly considering going into the week of the draft. But now eight months later, who would you say you would take with the fourth pick in the draft? I've got a feeling, Adam, that you're probably going to agree with me on this one. This is probably the guy that you're going to pick. So I'm almost wanting you to make this one because I've got a little bit of a wild hair at number five. But Derek Lively, I think, right. goes goes number four in a redraft. Um, the, guy's, the guy's been too good. You know, he's shooting almost 74% from the field. He's started all but one game so far on a team that's contending. He's got nine double-doubles, which I believe leads all rookies. And, you know, he's on a playoff contending team. You know, obviously, Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving, when they're playing together, is the focus. But I, I would have a hard time not taking Lively at this point based on what he's done in the NBA so far. Now, the, the critique is going to be all centers. They're not as valued as much. You can get a center later in the, the draft. Um, you know, I, I think that the – but but – the numbers that you've mentioned are undeniable. Now it's, it's obviously a great fit, get a lob partner for, for Kyrie and Luca and someone who can protect the rim, but the metrics I think are, are really impressive as well. I mean, you, you talked about um, the difference when he's on the floor versus when he's not their defense uh, per hundred percent possessions, their defensive rating is five points better when he's on the floor. So just in terms of, of what he brings to them on that end of the floor and offensively, I think, you know, we do agree. I, I do. I am a lively fan. I think where we may disagree is I still believe that this guy is going to be able to stretch the floor long term. Um, I, I know you like the fact that he's playing inside out and I don't disagree with you. I just think like fast forward three years, if he's making spot up threes from the top of the key, I will be doing my victory lap on Twitter if Twitter still exists. Uh, just note it now. I, I think he's going to be able to shoot, but we'll see. Go He's ahead, push back. Oh, for his career so far, so he can only go up from here. <laughs> well played. 
Well played. All right. Uh, with the fifth pick in the redraft, um, I'm admittedly torn here. Um, but I think what I'm going to do is go Jaime Hawkes. Um, I'm curious now if, if you would have done this as well. Now, I understand he turns 23 years old on February 18th. Um, so there is concerns about the upside. But he has been far better than expected. I think some of the shooting has leveled off to where we now expected it to be. Early on, he was shooting at a much higher clip. But he's been able to impact winning. He's been a terrific fit for that heat culture. He defends, he competes, and he's got this knack for creating his own shot that I think sometimes when you describe his game, you know, you say, oh, great footwork. He scores over the top of people. He's crafty. Like some of those buzzwords that we say about a lot of different people, but he's just got a knack for getting his own shot off. And so while, you know, there were questions about how his offensive game was going to translate because lots of times he was playing as like a small ball four at UCLA. And obviously that's not necessarily a role that he's going to see the most volume with in the NBA. I think some of those same skill sets have translated. It's just going to be interesting now that they have Terry Rozier, um, you know, how that impacts the, the amount of volume he has. But um, he, he's been great. He's been great. So I understand that, you know, there, there may be guys with higher physical upside, potentially, although I think Jaime is a better athlete than people give him credit for. Uh, but I just think he's a winner, and I'm surprising myself that I'm going to say, you know, top five pick if if we we're doing this again. But if you told me that guy was, a, was an all-star, you know, four years down the road, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. And on draft night, I, I did not think that was in uh, the range of potential outcomes. Yeah, I, I like Jaime a lot, too. I, I would have had him at number number 10 on my redraft, okay. so... I don't okay. think five is is out of out of that range. You know, I'm more of a. I still think when you're talking top five, top top six, I'm I'm trying to find, I'm trying to take a home run swing. So I would have waited maybe a little bit longer on Jaime, but he's good. You know, I think all the things you say. I watched that guy, and I don't know if this is a perfect ex a comparison, but I kind of feel like he's got a little bit of a new age Matt Harpering to him. Just a mm. hard-nosed guy with a high skill level who can play inside and out. You know, he's not shooting a particularly high high rate from three right now. I think he's around 34%. But I think he can get up in that upper 30 range when it's all said and done. And he just does a lot of good. And I still think in today's NBA, he can play a little bit inside out as, as a three-four yeah. combo. So so I love yeah. but like I said, I I, I might have swung for the fences a little bit more. So I, I can use who I would have taken at five when we get yeah, to the six the here. Who's your, who's your, I'm curious. You going Whitmore or Thompson's? Who are you going? I'm with? going Cam Whitmore. Yep. yep. We're, we're, we're going with the rocket. He originally yep. went number 20 to Houston on draft night. I think, you know, there were some concerns about his maturity level and things like that, which, which I get. But again, you know, we're talking about a dude that is still only 19 years old and won't turn 20 until July. So he's going to be a teenager his entire rookie year, which not a lot of guys get to do that, especially American-born players. Um, you know, there were some real struggles with him early, but anyone who sees what he's doing over this last month or so is pretty crazy. You know, he's been in double figures 14 times so far. All mm -hmm. of those have happened since January 10th. So mm -hmm. within the last month, um, you know, and, and during January, he was 40.7% from three. So he's showing a lot of potential as a shooter. Obviously, we know about him. More than Jaime Hawkins already. Yeah. 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 Obviously, we know him as about a, an open floor athlete. But here's what really stands out to me: 
I think a lot of the stat guys like the per 40 stats per 40 minutes a night. He's at 28 points and 8.9 rebounds per game. That's some serious, serious production for a 19 year old. And, you know, he's got some field questions. Um, He's definitely a feels like leather all-star. He's not much of a passer right now. You know, that thing, he's got something feels like leather in his hands. He's going to shoot, but man, in the high scoring NBA right now, he seems like a good fit and he's rolling and looks like a guy who eventually could be a guy we look back on a few years from now and say, hey, that guy could have been a top five pick. Well, to put it in perspective, and, and a lot of people were projecting him as a top five pick going into, into draft night to the point where Houston, who got him at 20, I believe, was believed to be considering him at four. And then this, this slide begins that was apparently rooted in a couple of different things but reportedly had a bad workout in Detroit where Troy Weaver has connections to the DMV area where Whitmore is from um and then it just becomes this copycat thing and I remember on draft night you know you don't want to take him at four or five because he had a bad workout there's there's some you know maturity concerns whatever um I get it but when you start getting like down to 10, 11, 12, 13. I remember I, I said it on draft night, like we were well beyond the point where it was worth the risk. And and so for him to for him to land all the way at, at back with Houston, I think this is really interesting because whether or not him and Amen Thompson and Jalen Green and and all those guys fit together around a team where suddenly uh Seng- Sengun looks like the best young prospect on the team. Uh, that's going to be really interesting to me, but I love the fit with Udoka as the head coach because Udoka is a is a a guy who says if you don't defend, you don't play, and um, is more than from from everything that I've read and seen is more than happy to uh, you know is is going to rise to any confrontation. So if Cam Whitmore wants to complain about it, he's he's going to be met with a, a head coach who doesn't back down a little at all and i think that is the perfect scenario for cam whitmore to potentially uh maximize what he's got and to your point i think as long as he gives effort and and attention to detail on the defensive end of the floor he'll probably be allowed to play with some offensive freedom so i like it i like it all right that was six right yep so you're up at seven here another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app find a location near you at bank of talk to us what would you like the power to do Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. All right. Seven, I'm going to go. All right. I, I, I know we're going to disagree again because I, I just, I'm struggling. The Thompsons are just such non-shooters. I'm really, I'm really struggling. Um, I'm debating between two guards, admittedly. Um, and one of the guys that I am... I'm going to end up going with is Case and Wallace. Um, I thought you were going to get Jordan Hawkins here. Yeah, no, I, that was the other guard I was debating between. Yep. It was either Case and Wallace or, or Jordan Hawkins, but I'm trying to avoid the Yukon Homer, uh, you know, the narrative. So the thing about Case and Wallace is I think, you know, people said he wasn't a point guard. People said he couldn't shoot. 
He's got nearly a three to one assist to turnover ratio, and he's shooting 42% from the three point line through 49 games. Uh, and 46% in limited starts. What's that? 46% plus in limited starts. Yeah. So, like, he's doing it with, with a small sample size. So, he doesn't have the benefit of volume. And he's able to impact winning. He he can play on or off the ball. Obviously, Shea's got the ball in his hands a lot. Williams has the ball in his hands a lot. Giddy has the hands ball in his hands a lot. But if you really watch him play, he's got more creativity and playmaking ability than I think. Let me say this: than I realized uh, when he was in high school. I think that's an area of his game that's that's really evolved. He plays both ends of the floor. He, we we've always known he was tough. We've always known he defended and that he was long. Um, so I just think now that we're getting in this redraft where I'm just not sure that any of the guys still left on the board, how much star potential they really have, I'm going with the guy that I think could legitimately be like a 10 year NBA starter if things go the right way. So that's my case for, for Kaysen. Didn't mean to rhyme there. Um, you can, you can rebuttal or you can go direct directly to your next pick. It's your call. Yeah, no, no. I'm, I'm not mad at Case in there. There's a couple guys that I might have, have taken ahead of him, but he's good. Again, I'm, I've am i got a little bit more of a just high in the draft, shoot for the stars type thing, but Case is pretty dang good and he's going to be really good for a long time. So we'll go ahead on number to number eight where I would I would have taken him a little bit earlier, but I will take Amen Thompson. Um, originally okay. went in number four on draft night in Houston. Now, obviously, he's kind of a he's kind of a tough one to figure because he had the the injury issues for so long, and he, he's really now just kind of getting his feet wet. Um, obviously, the shooting percentages are a concern. He's slightly better than his brother at around seventeen percent from three, whereas his brother's below fifteen percent. So I'm not sure that's when you're going to be beating your chest about if you're a men Thompson. But I think we're starting to see some signs of what he can do as an all around player um, against. Toronto a few games ago, I think he had 19.7 rebounds, four assists. I think that's a good indicator of the type of all-around player he can be. And still, the the thing with about the Thompsons with without the shooting, and I know some people are going to laugh about this when I talk about defense, is that we're still talking about a guy that does look like he's a potential all-NBA level defender out on the wing, as does his brother. And while there's still the offensive questions, I think it's hard to dismiss that. I know the NBA is – Really high scoring right now. The defense, the league is not set up for defense. It's set up for offense. But, you know, theoretically, Houston's fighting for playoff spots right now. Defense is going to play in at some point down the road, and that's where I think you can really help them out. And there's just too much athletic upside to write him or his brother off just yet. So you make a really interesting point, and this is something that I've thought about uh, over the years, but I don't think I've ever written about it or talked about it. It seems that sometimes the draft picks that become end up being the biggest sleepers end up because they recognize a trend in the game that's going to develop. And if you, not specifically you, but if anybody is of the belief that um, the NBA, the pendulum, if you will, between offense and defense is swinging, and right now it is at its max towards offense, and it's gradually going to shift back. Um, towards at least kind of regress to the mean maybe and become more defensive oriented, then I think someone like Amen Thompson has a lot more value than, than, than I would personally say, given the way the game is played right now. I, I just have, unless you're a 
primary creator, I just have a really hard time putting non-shooters on the floor. And that's, that's what, that's my concern with, with him and his, his brother. Um, but it's, it's interesting. Nonetheless, you know who I'm taking. I'm taking Jordan Hawkins. Uh, I tried to avoid the UConn Homer thing, but um, I just, that's not being a Homer. It. That's picking a guy who can get buckets, buddy. So don't be mad at I mean, that. Listen, I probably shouldn't phrase it like this, but what the heck? It's a friendly podcast. Toronto Raptors, 13th pick in the draft last year. Everybody knew they were going for a shooter. And listen, you're close to Kansas. I'm close to UConn. I, I just ge geographically, so we tend to see them more. They picked Grady Dick over Jordan Hawkins. And that, my friends, was a bogey. I'm a big fan of Grady, you know, watched him since high school, winning player. I think he's ultimately going to make it in the NBA. But I don't know how how you could watch. I just didn't understand that. I didn't understand that. And I don't want to act like I'm that much, you know, like I know all that much or anything like that. But I just did not understand saying Grady Dick was a better movement shooter than Jordan Hawkins, given the progression that Jordan showed from his freshman to sophomore year at UConn given the way in which he was utilized last year and the types of shots he was making. I mean, this guy was flying around the court, getting his feet set and then elevating, like, uh, and then shooting like a softball with good touch. And he did the same thing to start the year. Now his numbers, we I think the last time we talked about this, we said as soon as CJ McCollum gets back in the lineup, his numbers are gonna go down uh, and that happened, but he showed you what he's capable of. And this is a guy whose body is still not NBA ready, but he's got a pull-up game that's legit. He's got lift at the rim. He doesn't put a ton of pressure on the rim as a, as a creator, but he can get to his pull-up and he can knock that down. I just think movement shooter like this, um, you know, a couple of years from now, he's legitimately probably going to have 30 pounds of muscle on his frame. And um, yeah, that's why I'm, I'm going Jordan Hawkins. No, I love it. He's the only other rookie with multiple 30-point games. He's got the second highest scoring game for a rookie with 34 just behind Brandon Miller at 35 and it's funny I think you took him in this redraft you got him at number nine right actually on my board when I wrote out my new top 10 12 picks I actually had him at number eight but I couldn't take him at number eight because a man Thompson who had two spots higher on the board than him at number six was still available so you know I had to stay true to my board but you know I'm not mad I would if it was just me drafting I would have taken him a pick earlier so I think I think I think he's awesome. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him be, if not an all-star, at least a borderline all-star player for years to come. Um, he certainly fits the way the league's going. I think he's got some playmaking and stuff to his game that we're going to see him add as things oh, go. Yeah. But at the end of at the end of the day, the guy can put the ball in the hole at a high level. And it's, you know, if he's not playing behind a CJ McCollum right now, I think we're seeing that guy do a lot more, you know, he um has started 10 games and in mm -hmm. those games, he's averaged 17 points and four assists per game. So I think that's a pretty good indicator of what he could be doing with regular heavy minutes. And that's, you know, 35 minutes a game in those 10 starts. And New Orleans is so deep. Like they've got so many guards over there and so many people on the wing from Dyson Daniels to Troy Murphy, CJ McCollum, you know, Brandon Ingram, I guess is a three over there. So it's like, there's, there's just so many guards uh, that need minutes. You put Jordan Hawkins on a different team, I don't know, say Toronto, and uh, I, I think I think you would you would really see you'd really be seeing something. Um, all right, 
I'm I'm curious, are you are you pairing the Thompson twins? Not that this is a, a construct a roster exercise, but is is a, is the SAR the next player on your board? Yeah, yeah. If, I, if I'm going by who's left over on my board that hasn't been taken yet, I would go with the SAR who had number seven in a redraft. He originally went number five on draft night to Detroit. So if we're looking at those things and that that thing, I think number ten, he provides a lot of value. You know, I think the first month he had during November was incredible, right? Now Brandon Detroit was bad, real bad, but he was averaging almost 12 points and nine rebounds per game. So nearly a double-double during the first month of his rookie season. Now he's regressed pretty badly during December and January. In December, he was 6.6 and 4.4. In December, he was 6.1 and 5.1. So that, those, those are kind of scary numbers, but you know, rookies are going to have some ups and downs and I just don't know how, it, how, a rookie can succeed in what's currently going on in Detroit. You know, just the roster construction okay. doesn't make much sense. Um, you know, who does he turn to in the locker room as, as, as a veteran leader? You know, where, if you're a young rookie struggling, do you turn right now in that setup and get the help you need to get out of a funk? You know, and that's not to attack Detroit. It just is what it is. You know, I'm sure they're hoping it's going to be much different next year. I would imagine there's going to be a little bit of a, a house cleaning from a roster construction standpoint, as much as they can do within, you know, salary cap and, and NBA rules and all that stuff. But again, like his brother, there's just too much potential and upside there to, to fully write them off again. I think we both agreed that their shooting problems were being way too downplayed during the draft process. And they've I, I proven – I will concede I didn't I thought Asar because Asar made shots late in the OTE season last year. And I thought his shooting was a little bit better than a men's based on that last yeah. month of the OTE season. Uh but that is that is not yeah. come to yeah. pass. Yeah, you know, as as we're as we're filming, he's he's checking in at 14.3% from three, which you know, at any position right. in the NBA is is really, really scary, especially for a perimeter player, because you don't want to end up turning into, you know, a four at six foot six. You know, who knows? Maybe, maybe this guy's path is ending up as a, a supercharged athletic Chuck Hayes at some point. I don't know, but it's too it's too early to write him off. Um, you know, again, there's only upwards to go with the shooting. You know, just think about it. If he, if he can even get this guy into the upper twenties and during his during a sophomore campaign. We're talking about something, but again, too much upside. And also I think with him and his brother, we're talking about two really high character guys, we're talking about two guys who are known hard workers. I know they're not satisfied with this and I know that some pride is going to kick in and they're going to get in and do some work for the summer. So we'll see what happens, but still too early for me to write him off. And if I can get a Sar Thompson number 10, I'm going to go ahead and take him there in the redraft. That's almost part of what scares me more is like, I know they've been working on their shot for years, that, you know, that too. Um, but, but no, I get it. I get it. All right. I think that takes us through the top 10, but before we, we wrap this one up, I want to see there's, there's other guys worth mentioning. Um, and so I, I want to, is there any, is there anybody else you wanted to highlight before we, uh, before we, we call this one? Yeah. I think the two that we would probably both agree on, or maybe not would be uh Keontae George. I would yep. have had at number That's nine in a redraft. Saying. You know, I think um, the shooting, the sub 40% shooting overall was a little bit worrisome, but I think we know he's kind of a high volume guy. Um, he's going to get it. He's going to get it up there. But 
I think what is intriguing about him is that in the um, 16 starts he's had, he's averaging 5.9 assists per game. So I think he's proving that he's a legitimate playmaker for others. So he's got that ability to be that kind of high scoring guy who maybe not quite as efficient as you would like offsets that inefficiency with a shooting by being able to create for others in the span of that. And then the other guy would be Brandon Podjemski, who I think has yeah, been that's your awesome. Guy. That's your guy. State. You know, I mean, man, nine and a half points, five and a half rebounds, three and a half assists per game, 37%-ish from the uh, three-point line, 47% range from overall. Like, I don't know how high there is for him to go from here, but for a guy who got taken number 19 so and you know getting into the latter part of the mid to latter part of the first round that's a really good value i think and i think he's a guy that's gonna is proving he's gonna be a really solid role player to to starter type in the nba for at least 10 to 12 years a couple of things on pods um he's still just 20 years old as we mm -hmm. record this he turns 21 on, on february 25th um he is an insane perimeter rebounder i mean 5.6 per game as we record just a really smart player he's a good passer i don't know that, that how many people um in this draft would have been capable and we've seen this over the years of stepping right into golden state's intricate offensive system and being having the feel and basketball iq to be able to operate in that right away i mean as good as jonathan kaminga has been recently it was a it was a, a process for him to to figure out how to find his role in that system. So Pods, in addition to being highly skilled and really tough to have those kinds of rebounding numbers, is also like super super smart. And I think that's the part of him that that goes uh, that, that that we need to recognize. And and also, you know, when Golden State took him at nineteen, that was much higher than people expected on draft night. And now it's looking like maybe he should have been in the mix at the tail end of the lottery. Um, you mentioned Keontae George and his passing. Here's, I want to ask you about this. When he was at, at IMG, his senior year in high school, I remember thinking like from a personality standpoint, and remember the Thompsons and Scoop did not play, you know, high school basketball their senior year. So like they weren't in this, this conversation, but I remember thinking Keontae was like the alpha of that, that group. Like he was the guy, this was just my personal opinion. Um, he was the, but he was, he was noti noticeably out of shape at the time. Um, he's made such a commitment to his body that has continued over the course of the last two years, made great gains at Baylor and he's continued to go to new levels this year. But I, and, and everybody talks about that rightfully. So I think the thing that maybe people don't talk about enough has been the progression of his passing because I'm curious if if you feel the same way I do that that part of his game is underrated. You mentioned his metrics, but also much better than it was a couple of years ago. I remember watching his film last year at Baylor, thinking that there was a vast difference between his vision when he was stationary and when he was on the move. Um, and, and he's making passes this year that I don't think he had in his bag a year ago, certainly two years ago. But I'm curious if you feel the same way. Um, I can see that a little bit. Personally, I've I've always felt he's had pretty good instincts as a passer. He just mm -hmm. hasn't had the instinct to pass the ball, if that makes sense. Uh -huh. you know, his yeah, his yeah, instinct yeah. has been to shoot. Like you mentioned, you know, late game situations, that guy always wanted to take the last shot. You know, he wanted the ball in his hands. He he's he's unafraid of that moment. And I think 
at Baylor, it wasn't his job to pass. You know, it was right. his job to catch, go get buckets. So now, yeah. yeah. So now he's not, pardon me, you know, you want a little bit more of a balance from him. And I think he's starting to show that. And, you know, he's playing more minutes. The floor is more spread. I just think he's a pretty all-around dynamic guard who's who's got a lot going for him that really is settling in as a nice pro. And I think, you know, what what he go? He went, I think, 13 or 16 to the Jazz. I think that's – they're getting pretty good value out of that guy. And I think he's a guy that, you know, you could argue maybe should have gone in the top 10 or certainly should have gone in the lottery. They took Taylor Hendricks at nine, so it all works out. Um, two other guys to uh, to shout out real quick before it's over. Anthony Black, who went six, he was someone that I was really high on on draft night. I think his basketball IQ and his positional versatility and his defensive upside is really high. There's been nothing that's happened in the first half of the season that has has moved me off from that. I just think it's it's pretty crowded in that Orlando backcourt as they figure out, you know, they've got their their top two there, right? Uh, and I think they're just trying to figure out which guards they want to build around those guys. Obviously, you you, you know, the three-point shooting is the key variable there, but he's at 36% um, so far. So if he can ever become like a, just a, a guy who can make spot-up threes somewhere around 40%, he's never going to be a movement shooter. But being able to be on-off ball versatility at 6'7", being able to be a defensive alpha at 6'7", uh, the way he stuffs all columns at stat sheet, I like him. And then we mentioned him before, but Bilal Kulabali, uh, the Wizards are bad, but one of the things that's fun when you watch them is they're letting this guy learn on the fly. And he has extreme defensive uh, potential, um, not unlike the Thompsons. And um, the shoot, you know, it was a similar scouting report, like long, super long athlete, defensive potential, worried about the skill level. He's shooting 38% from the three point line. So I think it's like, you know, it's a conversation to say uh, how does he compare to the Thompsons, but I did want to mention him as well. I don't, we don't need to go down that rabbit hole, although I certainly let you let you share your thoughts on that, but he's been good too. But a lot of it is like you put him in a different situation. I'm not sure he gets on the floor. Cause as I said, the wizards are letting him rock out. Yeah, no doubt. Those are good mentions. I'm really glad you brought up AB. If anything, just to reinforce how good of a class that was in the DFW area that you had mm-hmm. him, Keontae George, and Kaysen Wallace all within 30 miles of each other in the same class. And I think that's one that for the next eight to 10 years, we could really end up debating which order are those guys in terms of the best. You know, it could be Wallace, George, Black today. It could be Black George Wallace down the road, like it could be any combination of those three. I mean, the 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 margin of separation between them and some of the other guards in this class is, is very, very thin. And I think with with A B, you're talking about a guy, another one where he's got maturity, he handles himself, he carries himself like a pro. And I think that Orlando's never going to be upset about that pick with the way things have gone so far. I agree. All right. Last shout out. The uh, Portland Trailblazers front office, they took Tamani Kamara with the 52nd pick. He looks like an NBA rotation player. And then they got Dwap Reith, unsigned, who was draft eligible in 2018, who looks like pretty darn good rookie, averaging about nine points uh, in 17 plus minutes per game, nine points, four boards. He looks like a legit NBA player. So, um, you know, you and I both have have uh, professional 
uh, friends in that front office. And to their credit, they are they are finding some guys uh, under the radar. So did want to shout that out as well. Ebas, this was fun, man. I I, uh, I enjoyed this. I know you and I both like talking about this stuff. Um, this was a lot of fun. Everybody, make sure you visit 247sports.com this week. Leading up to the Rising Stars Challenge, a lot of my written content is going to focus on the rookies. And next week's show uh, will transition to the sophomores. So we're going to we're going to do another episode of the show on the sophomores. You can find that on the 24-7 Sports channel. And there will be written content as well. In the meantime, there's a ton of content on recruiting. Travis Branham's got a great piece about the best availables. Ebos has done recruiting updates. What else do you have coming out in the next couple of days here, Ebos? I think we're going to start looking at some freshmen again, maybe going conference by conference to, to project uh, freshman of the year players. Sounds like Very some fun cool. to me. And I think there's some good debate because we've got some guys that have come on late compared to some slow starters. So it could be some surprises in there. And ultimately, I think that's what makes 24-7 sports unique is whether you're looking for high school recruiting, college basketball, NBA draft, it is one-stop shopping. Uh, and it's been a lot of fun to keep that momentum going. So thank you for joining us here today, 247sports.com, the 24-7 sports channel. We'll see you again real soon. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.